Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. And we're back. Welcome to another episode of The Flow Line. Matt, after a pretty, I would say, decent weekend in baseball, two and one we went over the weekend, did we not? Yes. Okay. It's much better than trying not to lose to the Royals. <laughs> well, I think we're, aren't we now a couple games ahead of, it was Oakland A's, right? We played? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we are, I think we're, we're three and a half up or something. And, and we, the problem is the Astros don't beat teams they're supposed to beat. And <laughs> yeah. so the problem is we're playing teams that aren't very good while the athletics are playing better teams, but we actually have the best record against teams above 500 and then a not so good record against teams below 500. So the focus here is win the ones that are easy and, you know, it shouldn't be that intense by the end of this whole thing when we're ready for October, you know? Right. Well, it's right around the corner and I can't be more excited. And I know you especially are. Then you got to attend a game, didn't you? Yes. Let's see. Well, last week I went to the last day game, which I'm obsessed with day games. So oh, they're the best. Yeah. Friday night, Ricky, our coworker, we've decided he looks like Kyle Tucker. <laughs> yeah. And so when Kyle Tucker doesn't perform, we give him a hard time, but we went on Kyle Tucker bobblehead night. Oh, uh, nice. Yeah. Out of respect for that. <laughs> uh, the culture here is great. I just love it. We have fun. We work hard and we like to throw shots at people and we can certainly take them, can't we? Well, you know, Ricky hasn't lost it yet. <laughs> He's still employed, which is good. He's still cranking out work or if you call it work, but arguably. <laughs> yeah, we'll unpack that in another episode. <laughs> Oh man, it's a good time. Well, hey, look, I think we should get on track here again. So we, we touched on this point before, but I think it's important to revisit certain topics because things evolve and, and certain ideas come up that we may have not touched on. But for this week, talking lost circulation and sort of the ins and outs of that, what kind of treatments are available, you know, stuff operationally, what to look out for. And so I think if we cover that, there's some things we want to mention in there that we may have not touched on before. So what do you think, Matt? Yeah. And I think, you know, this episode, I've, I've thought more about just some of the operational stuff, right? Like, I think we can talk about fracture ceiling theories and that sort of thing and, and all that. But like, let's, let's assume we have kind of an LCM plan. Like, what is all the operational stuff that you're going to do? Sometimes we, we, aren't, we could do better with just information gathering and, and making sure that everything's there when we try and solve the problem. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. Good. No, and, and I'm glad you mentioned that because I'm sure all the listeners out there, it's it's one thing to understand theory and, and the you know the whys and sort of so the intricate details of certain things. But you know, for a lot of the folks out there, they're on a rig. It's like, okay, what are the nuggets? What are the key takeaways? What's something that I can apply? So I think it's important again, like to like you mentioned, to cover things from an operational perspective, I think is important. So, you know, I think first things first, you know, let's say we're drilling ahead and you know, whether it's the deer can driller. Mud engineer looking at Payson or whatever equipment is out there, you suspect there's losses. At that point, you know, kind of what's the first thing that we would do and how do we approach that? I mean, I think first and foremost, we want to know a loss rate, right? I mean, we've talked about in the past, if, if you're not losing that much, you, you may not do anything or you might, may, you know, throw in some, you know, a little bit of background material to help you out. But 
you know, if you can get a static and dynamic loss rate, what is it while I'm circulating or what is it when I'm not circulating? I mean, that's a pretty important question as far as how you attack it. Even your decision tree is going to be broken down in your loss rate. But I think, you know, look, if we see the pits emptying out, I think we know it's pretty bad. But how bad is it? And am I going to need more mud? Should I be calling the mud plant right now before I even think about treatment? Like, oh, dear, I'm going to need volume to keep this hole full. And then I think the other important thing is like, you know, we joke about it, but all this stuff happens in the dead of night at the worst possible time with the least amount of help. And it's something you could be fighting for a while. And so I also think, you know, if you're a mud engineer, ask the question, well, I need help. Am I going to have to stay up for, you know, two days straight and put myself at risk perhaps because I'm too tired to make good decisions? You know, there's all these other things that we don't want you doing on the rig site. And so there's obviously the cost and the operational decision-making, but also just the, can I get my field supervisor out here? Do we need another hand? Those are things when, you know, especially when we know we've got big loss rates and, you know, no real answers, start at least asking those questions. Even if you just got up out of bed and you had eight great hours of sleep. <laughs> right. Which always happens. And I think certainly there, there may be some chuckles around that, but at the end of the day, it's, and you said, exactly what I was going to say is, is is your ability to make decisions and think critically, it's important to be refreshed. And so, yeah, it's not going to happen where you start losing mud and all of a sudden you're going to call for backup, but, but just, you know, reach out to the field supervisor. Hey, you know, this is, this looks like it might get nasty. Just want to let you know, in case we get in a serious bind, do we have anyone on standby that, you know, in case I start, you know, going on more than a day without sleep again, like that's, it's just part of it. It's just part of the sort of the decision-making process and, and, you know, evaluating the situation. Just, you got to think of everything. And I think nowadays, a lot of operators support giving money engineer support. Just most of the times we're the only ones out there. It's in, unless you're working two 12 hour towers, which in the future may be mandated, but right now it's still typically just one money engineer out there. So, and then, yeah, establishing their rate of losses is, is first and foremost, and then doing, you know, looking at your inventory, what do you have out there? What, you know, and then, like I said, looking at how much mud. And so I think at that point, once everyone on the rig is agreed, okay, hey, we've got losses, X, typically in barrels per hour is what it's measured at. From that point, Matt, what's the next step? I mean, I think this is where hopefully we already had something in mind. You know, we've, like you mentioned, we already had, you know, some contingency product out on location and we follow our LCM decision tree, right? And it's based on loss rates. So follow the program. This is one of those, I don't want to say it's a fatal flaw, but it's a frustration where you get a call where it's like, hey, we want to go get some of this. And it's like, okay, well, we actually have in the program to do this. And, and a lot of, you know, we've certainly found that, you know, one of the reasons we've introduced products like ECM1 and ECM2 was we were using it so much to cure losses when that was kind of a, a lot of different products. And we didn't want six pallets by the hopper that we could figure out what made that stuff work, what fractures it was sealing and come up with one bag and, you know, save everybody a lot of pain and misery. So I think, I think, you know, leaning on what you plan for. And so, you know, start those treatments and hopefully it makes a difference, but you've yeah. already talked about, you know, talking to the directional hands, is it going to plug the tools? Does it matter at this point? Do we have a bypass sub? All those good things. And then I think, you know, another special area of allocation is when it's really, really bad, right? And we look at pumping something like a squeeze. So, you know, it's one thing to spot a pill of something. And it's another when you've got to get it placed a specific spot outside the string and pressure up. And, you know, those we, we've talked about squeezes before, 
but let's make sure everybody's on board with how exactly we're going to deploy that. You know, so we've got our, the squeeze that we developed called macro strength and, you know, it's designed to seal fractures as big as 5,000 microns. I mean, it's some stout stuff. And Matt, not to cut you off, I'm sorry, but so a lot of time in, in the drilling fluids world, we talk microns and, and a lot of that's to do with screen size, which a lot of people reference that as API, you know, whatever, or, you know, say 45 mesh, but to give some context, like how big is 5,000 microns? Cause I think for a lot of folks out there, when you say 5,000 microns, it sounds like a lot, but is that, you know, an inch, five inches, 10 inches, like, can you give some frame of reference to how big that might be? Yeah. So a micron is a millimeter, right? So five or, or a, a micron is millionth of a millimeter, right? So a micrometer, right? 10 to the minus six or whatever, right? So 125, was it 26,400th of an inch? I, I may have gotten that wrong. So five millimeters is 5,000 microns. Okay. All right. That was a it's, long it's way of getting there. Hole. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it can seal some pretty big stuff and it's designed to, it's designed to be, you know, have compressive strength and, and really hold, but okay. we could develop the greatest thing in the world. And if you cannot deploy it properly, you don't give it a chance. And so, especially you think about what a critical situation it is, we need to make sure that everybody's on the same page on how we're going to pump this right. and that it's the right way to go. And then even the decision of saying, wow, you know what, we just need to pump cement. Like this is more than we can handle. There's other risks we're introducing, but that LCM tree is supposed to be really the map by which you kind of execute. So obviously follow that. But in the middle of all that, there's probably some other questions and some information we can gather that will tell us. Did I induce this? Did I drill into something? Or maybe even in the future, when we encounter this again, we can say, well, we had losses on the last well, but maybe if we lower our flow rate, we'll be okay. Or, you know, some. Yeah. And so information gathering is kind of the next, you know, what was going on operationally. Right. And, and so I think that's important to mention. It may seem obvious on what to collect, but I think in a time like that, where it's you know, there's somewhat a degree of panic <laughs> and hopefully not. I mean, Ramey, remaining calm and, and collected is important, but what are some key pieces of information that we'd like, that we would want to collect and then obviously report on that daily mud report? Well, you know, one of the things is, you know, was I on or off bottom, right? So let's say I was moving the pipe around I may have induced losses somewhere that wasn't near the bit. And in fact, normally you drill past something and you start to see losses afterwards. It's, it's not, you know, an absolute certainty that, you know, the minute you cut into something that it's going to start taking fluid. Right. And then, I, I mean, there's other things like, did I increase my ECD in a way that maybe, you know, did we have signs of cavings? Do we have poor hole cleaning, like, you know, tight connections, that kind of thing where spikes in standpipe pressure, even where it's, it's like, okay, something else was up. So was it that the BHA maybe packed off, you know, momentarily even, and we actually gave a huge surge of pressure to the formation and, and that's what did it. So, I mean, of course, if we can find out what we were drilling through, did we drill into a fault? You know, those sort of things shed a lot of light. And then, you know, what were the mud properties? Were, were things run a little thick because something got, we had some contamination? Were they, you know, were they not optimal for hole cleaning? And most importantly, mud weight. You know, I think we know, especially in these unconventional wells, Mud weight, you know, you sort of just, you're not necessarily on well control. You're responding to well-worn stability. And if you get ahead of yourself, maybe, maybe you went a few tents over and you need to stay below some line. Now, you, you know, now you have one to engineer around for the next well. 
Yeah. So operationally, those are a lot of, you know, a lot of things I want to know. And then I can gather all that information and, you know, try and we always talk about it, you know, run hydraulics. Tell me you know, what was the ECD when, when losses occurred? Was it trending higher? Was there something like that? And then even, you know, if I want to lower my circulating rate, can I lower my circulating rate? We control drill and finish this without losing all of our drilling fluid. Is that going to be cheaper on a rig time basis than trying to stop and treat all this stuff? And so, and we've talked about this when you go on losses, right? Like if I only see 50% returns, then I don't have 50% of my flow rate to get my cuttings to surface. So at that point, what do I find out that I can handle? And we can work with the customer and kind of come up with a determination. Like, you know what, we're just going to drill ahead. We're going to keep the hole as full as we can, understanding we're going to be limited, but we got 500 feet to go. And I don't want to spend a bunch of money and time trying to fix this. Or, you know, the well seems at risk because we have tough sledding quite a ways ahead. So let's try and treat it. I'm willing to take that risk because the reward is pretty big for a few, you know, maybe saving me a few days. Yeah. So, and a lot of the decisions are made are they're driven by the economics, right? And that's kind of, you know, what, what you're really summarizing. And so a lot of it, again, comes down to just communicating, you know, with the coming man, communicating with the drilling engineer, making sure everyone's on the same page. But, you know, one thing it's, it's funny because we keep referencing the decision tree and the mud program. I can't tell you how frustrating it is as an account manager to get a call from the rig and say, Hey, we're taking losses. You know, what do you want to mix? It's on the plan. And hopefully it was discussed in the spud meeting. So again, for the field folks out there, I know a lot of times there may be a decision on the rig saying, Hey, we're taking these losses and I've seen this product work. Do you have anything equivalent? And so I know there's always going to be a little bit of deviation from the plan, but the programs are written for a reason. And so I really encourage everyone that if you do start taking losses, reference the MUD program. And if you're a little bit unsure, message the office and say, hey, we're going to mix this. Here's the rate of losses. Here's all the information we've gathered. We're going to treat it as per the MUD program. Thumbs up. Yes. Okay, cool. Then everyone's on the same page. And and then the chances are you've probably already got those products on location. So again, it, it sounds very elementary, but this happens time and time again. And it's, as an account manager, like I said, it's something that's somewhat frustrating. And I mean, but at the end of the day, we'll, we'll adapt and, and we'll get a solution going. But yeah, it's it, again, great products, great planning can go a long way. So, but that being said, Matt, from, you know, let's, let's move into the treatment part of it because we've mentioned hydraulics, you know, obviously a lot of the, your pressures and your ECDs and your rate of losses are all dependent on how fast you're pumping. And, you know, at that point, if the decision's made to treat the losses, let's move into that. So there's, there's different ways to treat with different, whether it's sweeps, pills, different concentrations. How do we go about sort of addressing that and making progress in that towards treating? Well, I mean, I think, you know, we're jumping into the program. We're looking at that decision and keep in mind that decision tree is going to say, okay, I applied it. And then what happened? And let's say I was losing at 30 barrels an hour and now I'm down to five. Well, that's something I probably live with. Right. And so it'll probably be like, okay, well, let's keep adding a few sacks, you know, let's circulate some, some material while we're drilling to make sure that if we come across anything, we can seal it up. But, you know, normally what happens is you, you do your dynamic treatments, right? So on the, on the low end of your LCM tree, it's like you said, it might be sweeps add a few sacks, every stand, what have you, you know, and, and those are to address, you know, more on the seepage side and, and that sort of thing. But as things get worse, when you say, you know what, I need to, I need to stop and I either need to let this pill sort of soak and work its way into a loss zone or even squeeze it. You know, what did you use? What are the volumes going, you know, straight off, hopefully straight off your decision tree. 
but making sure that you follow that and observe the change in loss rate. Did it work? Did it help a little bit? And I mean, I've seen it before where you pump two squeezes and nothing happens and you pump the third and everybody's high-fiving because it worked mm-hmm. and, you know, saved, saved the well, which is always great, but it's always the person who goes last who gets to take credit for everything else, right? Yeah. <laughs> it may have been that three squeezes was what it needed. So, you know, I guess to me, when I, I think about this, it's not only did our decision tree, you know, we followed it, but did we make any observations that would make us change our decision tree in the future? Or does it further validate a strategy that we should use in other places? And it could, you know, the change in loss rate for sure. But how much material did I actually put down there to, you know, to get there that matters. And I think most of the time, once we cure losses, we just run right away and move on to the next well and sort of forget, you know, what we were out there for. Right. And that, I mean, that's the story of the oil field, right? Like we're turning these wells out in, you know, a couple of weeks at the most. And yeah. so you just... You move on and try and forget about the, you know, the bad parts, but it may be you can prevent something in the future with all of that information. And many times the customers, like you said, you get in that situation, hey, we have our decision tree. And they're like, well, I've used this stuff before and that's what I want to use. Say, okay, well, a couple of miles away, we ran into the same problem and we use this stuff and it worked. And usually that's, you know, that's all they need to hear. But until that point, it's, you have some sacks of things I may or may not have heard of, and I know of some other things and, you know, I want to go with what I'm comfortable with, regardless yeah. of what the program says. Yeah. It comes down to oftentimes it's preference or just experience. And, but ultimately a lot of this stuff should be hashed out in the spud meeting or, or at some point beforehand. And then too, I mean, again, this is a very generalized approach, Grant. There's going to be times where, you know, for instance, I have a customer now with you know, we're expected to drill into a fault at roughly 16,000 feet. And so we've got a pretty strategic plan as to like, you know, a thousand feet before, you know, pull the screens, load it with this, have a certain concentration. Then once we get a couple hundred feet from out, then we do an hourly treatment. And I mean, again, that's not in the decision tree per se, but it's something that we've planned for. Now, once we get to the loss zone or the suspected loss zone, then we would apply the decision tree. And so there's, there's a lot of like, you know, kind of mix and match methodologies that come into play. And so again, for us, it's, it's a lot of planning, making sure that you do have the products available. And if you don't, then that's probably not the best because there's, there's been times we're in a mud program. It'll say mix this. And the next thing you know, you don't even have it at the warehouse. And, it, and I mean, it happens. It's just where everyone's oh, it, busy. We've been there and I loved when I do programs overseas and that sort of thing. And they tell me what to put in there and then we get on losses and it was like, wait, we don't even have this. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, it, so it always made me paranoid, you know, offshore, like, okay, if it's in the decision tree, it should be on the rig, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so those are always like gotcha moments you're trying to avoid. Of course. And on land it's, you know, typically you're within a few hours of the warehouse, but when you're on losses, no one wants to wait and stop circulating so you don't have to, so you can wait for your product and this and that. And, and again, these are just you know, friendly reminders and, and things that you know, we've all gone through, but Matt, it's again, I think it was important to touch on it. Hopefully we touched more on the operational side of things that people can take away from, or it's a reminder for folks say, Oh, you know what? That's right. You know, I, I do need to make sure when we take losses that I start looking at this or looking at that and hopefully starts generating some conversation outside of the typical, you know, Oh no, here we are in a loss situation. What do we do now? Yeah. Anything else, Matt? Any closing last words? I mean, gather information and be proactive. I think it's what separates, you know, kind of the 
you know, kind of average to one who excels is thinking ahead on these things and making sure that, you know, no one's going to be waiting on us, especially when, like I said, losses aren't just expensive. They create, they add risk to the well, they do a lot of other things. And I know many times we take it as a point of pride to not have losses, but it's not always in our control. Let's gather and, you know, certainly control what we can control in the midst of things that we can't. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And one last thing I'd like to say is, is always, you know, plan for the worst and hope for the best. So if you know you're going to take losses, plan for them to be complete losses. And okay, at that point, what do we do? Because then you're at least you're prepared for anything. So if it's like, oh, we're planning on taking losses. Okay, I got a little bit of LSAM in the backyard. And, you know, if we hit, we take some losses, we'll just start mixing. Well, that's not going to fly. So plan for the worst, hope for the best, and then plan for post treatments too. You may take losses and you may treat it. Like Matt said, you go from 20 barrels an hour down to five to discuss it with the company representative or the customer. Hey, what's the threshold? Are we okay with living with X amount of barrels per hour? Because you can easily run the numbers on that and then they can figure out if it makes sense on their economics. So it's like, okay, if we take losses, we need to heal them for it to make sense. Or, hey, let's try and heal it. But if we're seeping at X amount you know, barrels per hour, that's fine. Let's maybe keep a little background. So, you know, talk through and follow through with the, the entire process all the way to TD. And in the customer may say, you know, like, let's not worry about that. That's too far down the road. But from our side of things, like, okay, what happens when we take losses? Okay. If we heal them, then what are we going to maintain? Are we going to stop treating, you know, think ahead. And I think that's customers, especially appreciate when we're thinking two steps ahead of everyone else, because then it takes, you know, the load off of them. They know we got it. Everything's good. So that's just something else I think is important as well. Absolutely. Perfect. Well, with that said, if anyone has any questions, thoughts, or comments, please hit us up on LinkedIn. You can also email us at the Flowline Podcast at AESFluids.com. Please share it. And you know, again, we've got a ton of downloads. Keep the reviews coming. That always gives us a good idea on, on what everyone's thinking. And again, if you just want to comment on you know any of the posts or anything, please do. With that said, have a good one. We'll see you next time. Take care. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of the Flowline. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.